Amen. Yes, give him praise. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. A little more light in the room, maybe a little bit. Be great. And um, we, of course, in two weeks, we're doing the chicken stew to go. And that means that community comes, they park, they um, give us an order for the chicken stew, they get on a hayride, they go around in the field to a trunk or treat, and they stop at different places to get their candy. And then they get out over here and they come through and they get their chicken stew and they go home. Chicken stew and hot dogs, they go home. So very excited about that. Um, we have 18 trunks right now, and we need 25. So if you do the math, like Common Core, you would 25, take this number, put it here, did this one, and then we're going to put this number here, and we do something. I don't even know how that even works. Um, but I think, I think we need seven more, right? Seven more? So Common Core works. Look at that. I got the right number. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, sorry, I, I don't know why we just can't do things the easy way uh, instead of the stuff. Well, my name is Philip Brand, if you're visiting with us. If you're not visiting with us, I'm still Philip Brand, um, so that's, that's who it is. So our, we started a sermon last week, oh, by the way, if you want to, I don't know, I got distracted, squirrel. If you want to do a trunk and, and fill and help us out with that, just let me know. Um, you can fill out a, f- a form that's on a table in the foyer and do that, or you can do it on the church app and sign up, and then we'll get in contact with you about uh, the trunks. So end of, end of commercial, now to the main message. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we're doing a series called The Playbook. This is part two, and uh, last week we started it. I did tell you last week that it's basically a long sermon that's been chopped up into three different parts. So we did the kind of the introduction last week, <clears throat> and this week we're getting to some of the main points of that sermon, and it's called The Playbook. To start, I would like to show you a picture of this vehicle right here. It's a McLaren P1 <clears throat> car. Um, this is a hybrid. That means that the engine... It produces electricity, and so part of the time this car runs on electricity, part of the time it runs on gas. I'm not really sure how it all works together, but that's it. It's a hybrid. It's both gas and electric. My son and I love to look for these type of cars on the road. Just the other day, <clears throat> we were driving to my parents' house. This was Friday, and he saw a car, and I forget what it was, but he, he saw a car on Aston Martin. That's what it it was, Aston Martin. He said, there's an Aston Martin, but it was going the other way, so I didn't see it. Because when you're on 40, I don't feel like it's the time for me to rubberneck, right? (laughs) Just, you know, like that. But sometimes he's on his phone, and I see something that we're about to pass, and I'm like, hey, look at this Ferrari right here. And we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, Last night, I was watching TV for the very first time. Hadn't watched TV in a long, like real TV. Do, Do you know what I mean by that? Like real TV? like antenna on your house TV, you get 52 channels that are digital, and then there's commercials. I haven't seen commercials 
in a very long period of time, except for the ones on YouTube that is just political. But nonetheless, haven't seen commercials, was watching TV, and I was flipping through the channels, and there was this car chase. And it was a, I think a 1964 green uh, Mustang chasing a 1971 Charger, it was black. And they were going around curves and stuff, and you could hear the squeal of the tires, and you could hear the engine. And my wife said, do you notice that there's no background music to this thing? And I said, right, because this is a man's movie. We don't need background music. We need to hear the engine. We need to hear the squealing of the tires. That's what we need to hear. We don't need this music. And so through the city and stuff like that, it was absolutely incredible. By the way, um, the Dukes of Hazard doesn't really count, though I like that car. But scientifically, you can't squeal your tires on dirt roads. Right? So that... You know, and they're always, and it's like dirt going everywhere. You can't do that. But on this movie, they were actually doing it. It was a raw type of deal, and it was, it was absolutely invigorating. Uh, the chase ended with the bad guy, of course, crashing into a gas station and exploding. That, that's what happened. Those two vehicles that I just talked about, though, are not hybrid. They're fully gasoline. You know, they're not this, this little change. So hybrid. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's also hybrid bicycles. Did you know that? When I went to buy my wife a bicycle a couple of years ago, she wanted one that was she could go off-road on and also ride on the street with, and they make this thing called a hybrid. I didn't even know they made it until I started looking for one. So I bought her a hybrid swin Bible, not with the big Bible, <laughs> bicycle. With handles on it, and she, she rides this thing. It's, it's got many gears, and, and she's just absolutely um, ecstatic about it. So we took her hybrid bicycle just a few weeks ago and all of her other bicycles, and we went up to the Creeper Trail. Have you ever done the Creeper Trail? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of people done the Creeper Trail. Um, if you take the uh, van all the way up to the top, it's downhill. All the way down, it's really a lot of fun. I thought that it would be a great idea during the month of October for them to call it the creepier trail and like have people with chainsaws and knives jumping out at the, ah, you know, like this and just see how many accidents we could have and film it and then put it on YouTube. I just think that would be absolutely incredible or some type of accident. Anyway, creepier trail, you know, for October. Is everybody... I think about these things from time to time. It would be very, just add an eye and a eye in there, right? Creeper trail, creepier with an eye. It's just one letter difference, right? Yeah, just one letter difference, yeah. So, so anyway, I thought that would be great. So we were riding, and <clears throat> the miracle is that we had no accidents until 0.2 miles from our car. If you know anything about my family, if you know anything about my wife, you know that that is an amazing thing because she was, she rides a bicycle like this. Quinn is starting to ask her where she hides it now because she's all the time, you know, falling. Oh, come on. That, that's good. She doesn't have anything hidden, but he, he asked her that question. So she's riding this bicycle and she does this, and I know this. Well, 0.2 miles to go, I don't know what in the world I was thinking. I came alongside of her, her back tire is here and my front tire is here and she did one of her little swervy things, right? And so in order for her not to be hurt, I 
dodged it, but when I dodged it, I'm the one who wrecked, and I messed up my knee for a little while. It, it took about two weeks, you know, and I'm, I'm walking back. There's blood everywhere. It's, it's fun, but I sacrificed myself <laughs> for her well-being. That's what I did. That's what I did, yeah. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6. Um, cars are a hybrid, and uh, bicycles are hybrids, but that's not the only hybrids in the world. You see, back when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the trees, the animals, the fish, whatever you see. But then he created a hybrid. Notice Genesis chapter um, 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Nowhere else in scripture can you find that God created a possum after his own image. He didn't create a cow after his own image. It is man that was created after God's image. And that means that he created a hybrid. There's something different about man than it is about the possum that you passed on the road that got hit by a car last night, and he's just laying there. Something different about that possum, something different about those animals, something different about your fish that you, you know, you see in wherever you see them. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That is something also that didn't happen to any other animal, any other creature that God created. God created a a hippopotamus, but didn't breathe his life into him. The hippopotamus is not made in his image. So the hippopotamus and the possums and the rats and the snakes of this world are all a part of a physical world. They're not a part of a spiritual world. Their life does not go on and on and on after they die. That possum that was on Farmington Road this morning when I was traveling by might not be there when I go back because somebody's our birds have ate it, right? One of the two things. Look, I've seen somebody scraping one up before on Farmington Road. It weirded it be out, but that's okay. Each man to himself. Not making fun of people, just saying I don't know what they were doing. But nonetheless, that possum did not go into eternity because there's nothing inside that possum that is eternal. It's all physical, tied to this time frame. You and I, however, are different. We're made in the image of God. So I have a physical body that's tied into this time frame right now. One day I'm going to die. My physical body is going to die. But there's something inside of me that is eternal that's going to last forever. And every person knows this to be true. Even if they deny that there's life after death, somewhere deep inside of them, they know that this is true. Do you know how I know this? A couple of reasons. First of all, since mankind was placed on this earth, he's been trying to worship something. Every generation, every generation has something that they worship. There's different religions, there are different things. You can look through history. It's a testimony that mankind knows that there's something else. They're not the only thing in the universe. Second reason I know this, and it's probably a better reason experientially than, than the first one, which is more factual, I've done a lot, of ser a lot of sermons for funerals in my day. And I've seen atheists come to funerals 
and wonder what's going to happen to them after they die? Why are they even asking that question? The reason they're asking that question is because even though they have that staunch belief that there is no God, no spiritual stuff, nothing, somewhere deep inside of them, they're thinking, hey, what does happen to me after I die? Is this really all there is? And the mere fact that they're thinking, is this all there is, means they know deep inside that they have an eternal soul that's attached to another world because they are a hybrid. They're a hybrid. So God made man differently than he made any other animal, any other animal. He made us different. We're in his image. There's something inside of us. I would like to say that it's a soul. The soul of man is what goes into eternity. This means, because this is true, that one day when you die, what happens is you stand before somebody and you give an account for what you have done. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's one side of the, the, the scenario. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's another side. So one day, you come out, and if you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have to give an account for everything that you've done in this body. That means every thought, every action, everything that you've done, and you stand before a holy God. And the holy God judges those. And then you have to be punished for those sins because you're not going to match up to a holy God that created you. And he's going to toss you, your soul, into a lake of fire that burns for eternity. It's in Revelation. It's what happens. The person that dies that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior stands before a holy God, a holy God and they give an account for everything that they've done in this body. Their thoughts, their deeds, they give an account but the difference is there's this guy named Jesus that comes alongside and says, it's okay, I've already taken his punishment. He's guilty, but I've took that guilt on my shoulders. And then the heavenly father says, enter into my kingdom and you walk right in, right? Because of what Jesus did for you. So it's a duality. This present life isn't gonna last forever. And one day we are going to be in eternity and what you decide to do with Jesus at this moment will determine where you go. So what are you going to do with that? If you haven't received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I encourage you this morning that today is the moment. We do a lot of things to try to keep ourselves alive, try to protect ourselves from dying. But I'm telling you this, if it's meant for me to die on the way home today, I'm going to die on the way home. And I know where I'm going. I'm going to go see Jesus and I'm going to go see my Savior and I'm going to be worshiping God in heaven. If you do not have that assurance and you don't know where you're going to go, it's time to get that assurance today and accept Jesus as your Savior. There is a spiritual war for your soul. Don't let this side win. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you notice, this verse has that hybrid in it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spirits, demons, Dark forces, that's what we wrestle against. That is what we're fighting against. Chapter, uh, verse 16 says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, Satan is a schemer. 
He's a schemer, and he uses these darts to throw them at people to get them. Verse 11 back there says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, against his playbook, against how he is trying to win your heart over. Put on that whole armor and make sure he doesn't get into your heart. Make sure he doesn't weave himself into your being and control what you do. Make sure that you do that. I think it's interesting the two perspectives of, of how this goes down. You see, Satan wants to tempt you so he can consume you. He doesn't care about you. He's just going to tempt you so he can consume you. In a um, kind of more positive light, because I, I didn't do this to my daughter to get her to do something wrong, but I was, I was in a wedding one time. It was a family wedding, and she was a little bridesmaid. So I was standing up over here on this side, right? And she got here. She's three years old, and you never know what a three-year-old is going to do, right? If you don't believe that, you don't have a three-year-old. Never been around a three-year-old. Yeah, you don't know what a three-year-old is going to do. So she got here, and she had, you know, she pedals. It was really cute, you know, but it wasn't the way she was supposed to do it. She, she was throwing the pedals. So she got here, and, and she didn't really know where to go. Well, in my pocket, I had a little thing of Tic Tacs. I took those Tic Tacs out, and I shook them. And as soon as I shook them, she went, <gasps> and she came over to me, and then she sat on the stage like she was supposed to, and she ate those Tic Tacs the entire time the, the, the wedding was going on. I shook the Tic Tacs, and, and she did that. That is an example of what Satan does to you. He has your tic-tac box. He knows what can get your attention. And so what he does is he comes over to you, and you can't see him, but all of a sudden he takes out that little temptation out of his playbook, and he begins to shake it. And instantly you feel. You feel what it's like to eat those tic-tacs, you feel what it's like to have them in your mouth and the flavor that just rushes over your, oh, I love Tic Tacs. You crunch them and that flavor just, oh, the white ones are the best. I'm not trying to be racist, but they are, they're incredible. The white ones are the best. And you crunch down on them and you're like, wow, oh, it's just, oh, it's unbelievable. And so you, you, you feel that when you hear that Tic Tac box shake, right? And so he's shaking the temptation, right? And all of a sudden you're feeling something that you want to do and he pulls you along. Get up out of your chair. You don't need to do this, but you get up out of your chair and you follow him. And what he's doing is he's getting you to partake of whatever he's tempting you with and he's shutting a gate behind you because he's entrapping you. He's taking life from you. You're feeling the light of that temptation, like the feeling of that temptation that is going through your body and you're like, like, wow, this is really good. I'm really having a good time. But then it ends and it leaves you desiring more. Something that you might not know about my daughter is my daughter, if you had a box of Tic Tacs ordered from Amazon and there were 12 in this box, she could literally go through the whole box in a matter of moments because she loves them. So she would get finished with one and go to the next one. She's, she doesn't do that. She's 20 now. She, she has a little more self-control, but she, she's been known to eat two or three 
of, of those boxes. Well, what happens over here is they run out and you start thinking, I want some more, and he's got you again. And so what he does is he continues to bring you until your life is consumed with whatever temptation that is. And he's got you. And so you wake up in the morning wanting that temptation. You wake up in the morning wanting that item. You're wanting to do it. And before too long, your life is consumed with the pursuit of whatever that temptation is, whatever that tic-tac box is. And that's all you can think about. And he's got you because he's consuming your time so that you cannot be focused on Jesus, so that you cannot be focused on God. He consumes you. And so he drags you along. It's kind of like the dog that won't come into the house, which I know that's rare, but the dog that wants to, don't want to come in the house, so you give him a, a treat and he follows you into the house, that is exactly what Satan is trying to do to you with his schemes. And you have to watch out for it. God's totally different. Totally different. God, God's trying to woo you. You know what God can do that Satan can't do, doesn't have the power to do? God can actually enter your mind and make you do whatever he wants you to do. Like he can take your choice right from you. He can enter into your being and he can take your choice and make you do, make you go, make you play, make you do whatever he wants you to do without your permission. But he chooses not to do that. What he has chosen to do is he's given you a mind that you can choose right or you can choose wrong. And he just woos you. He just says, I love you. I want you to follow me. I want you to be my servant. I want you to do this. But you need to make the decision. You need to make the decision to follow me or not. Jesus did this. He walked up to several people and said, follow me. And those people said, yes, I will follow you. There's a couple of people in scripture that said, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to sell all my items so I can follow you. I'm going to keep my stuff, rich young ruler, and I'm just not going to follow you. So he gives you the choice. He's just trying to woo you. He's trying to get you to follow him to new life, because whereas Satan just wants a bunch of cattle, God wants sons and daughters of his. He wants people that have chosen to love him, that has chosen not to go in this direction, but have chosen to love him, chosen to follow, chosen to serve him. And it's two totally different mindsets. God does not come in and consume you. He lets you decide whether or not you want your focus to be consumed by him. And so he woos you. He says that he loves you. His greatest love act was when he died on the cross for your sins, when he laid down his life for your sins, when he rose the third day so that you could have life in Christ. He woos you. So it's totally up to you. If a Christian does not follow Jesus, it is because they have chosen not to. And they've chosen to follow a different path. And that's a scheme of the devil. Right here, this little scheme, whatever he's shaking, it seems like, man, it's as innocent as Tic Tacs. But it's not. It gets you consumed and gets you worshiping and gets you focused on something else that isn't God. So <clears throat> that's the difference. God woos you. Um, I wooed somebody one time. I did, and I got her. I got her, and she got me. 
And God wants you to choose him. So what are you going to do with that? That's the question. What are you going to do with that? What is that temptation that keeps getting you, that's consuming your life? What are you going to do with it today? Are you going to ask forgiveness for it and ask God to help you with it, give you freedom from it? Or are you just going to keep doing it, keep following the tic-tac trail? I don't know about you, but I'd rather serve a God that doesn't make me serve him or tempt me to serve him than to live the other way. This is just, if I can take a phrase from society today, just blonde, blonde sheep following stuff that they do not understand. Come on. That's how Satan deceives. So <clears throat> let's continue with this. How do these schemes work in your life? How many of you would say that unselfishness is really an attribute that you want to have? Nobody. Okay, thank you. There you go. Two, two people. Unselfishness. Unselfishness. I did say unselfishness, right? Oh, the un was a little hard to hear. How many of you would like unselfishness to be an attribute that you have? There we go. Because, man, the servant was about to change. <laughs> it was about to change. <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up, right? What I'm often amazed by is that Satan can say, take a virtue like that, make you think you are doing it, and turn it into sin, and you don't realize it. He can take something pure like unselfishness, weave some lies in there for you. He flips the definition of that to something else that you don't realize, and you think you're being unselfish when all the while you are not being unsel unselfish at all. You're actually being selfish. Isn't that scary? Yes, that is scary. Are you trying to figure out what in the world I'm talking about? Yes, you probably are. Because I don't think we often think about stuff like this. Like how can Satan take a virtue and then twist it? A couple of things about this. Number one. Satan can't create virtue. Did you know that? He can't create it. He has not been able to do that. He's too evil. You have to be good and holy to create virtues. However, he can take something that God has put into place and he can corrupt it. He does this all the time. And so he does this sometimes with unselfishness. Unselfishness. Unselfishness can become something that is very unhealthy and not good for you. Let me give you two ways that this happens. Number one, unselfishness oftentimes makes you live your life with no defenses and no boundaries. So there's people in your life that take from you, 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 and Satan has you convinced that you're being unselfish by, by allowing them to do that. You know that they're not good people. 
that are doing this to you. You know that, but you feel like if I'm unselfish enough, that would make me more like Christ. And, and I just need to keep sacrificing for these people. So you keep sacrificing and he's convinced you that that sacrifice and giving them everything that they want is indeed an unselfish way to live and it's how God wants you to live. I'm here to tell you that is a lie of Satan. That is not unselfishness. Let me show you why. The reason that people continue to give people in their life the things that they want anytime that they ask for it, and they do it over and over again and they think they're unselfish, is because they do not want to have the uncomfortable moment where they stand and say, I don't think this is good for you. Or maybe it's time you got a job. Or I cannot continue to support your lifestyle because you're taking what I'm giving to you, giving to you and you're using it for evil. I cannot continue to do that. And see, this right here is a very unselfish viewpoint. When you stand and say, hey, what you're doing is not good for you. It's just not good for you. And I can't continue to give you money. I can't continue to help you in this way. Are, are you tracking? I, I can't allow you to keep taking from me. See, we know this is unhealthy because whoever this is continues to do it and they're hurting members of their family while they're giving so much to these other people. They're hurting members of their family. They're hurting their own lives and they're going down a path that is very destructive for them and very destructive for these other people. And so Satan oftentimes convinces us, but I'm being unselfish. I'm being humble. I'm being given when, uh, giving when all the while you're really enabling sin and you're not being unselfish at all. You're being selfish because you don't want this uncomfortable moment. Can I give you a little tip? Life is filled with uncomfortable moments that you need to face head on. Life is just not all about the mountaintops. We get married, we're on a mountaintop. Uh, maybe a day later, you're going down, but maybe a couple of months, just depends on what it is. But you're going to be up here and then all of a sudden, your marriage is going to hit a time where you're wondering if you even love the person that you made all the dedication to while you're on the mountaintop. You see, romantic love is not enough to keep your relationship together. It's just not. The love of God that consumes your heart, that's not just a feeling, but also a commitment, is what keeps your relationships together. There are times that you have to love your spouse in your mind, but not feel it at all because you want to kill her. And you work through it. It is an uncomfortable moment. You're at a hot, romantic love only lasts so long. Here's the cool thing about a romantic love. After that tough time, as you go up the mountain again, it comes back, but then you're gonna go back down and you're not gonna feel it some days. There's gonna be some days that you're sick, your stomach's sick, your head is sick. You just don't, you just don't feel it some days because that's romantic love. But the love that you made a commitment with, that is a feeling but it's also a commitment. You stick with that commitment the whole time. So you, we are going to have tough times in this life. And sometimes love has to say the hard thing. You need help beyond me. You need someone else to come in and help you with it. You need to change. So romantic love, up and down. Hills and valleys, people, hills and valleys. 
It's in the valleys where your faith comes in. Don't let Satan weave into your mind that somehow or another you've fallen out of love with someone. You haven't fallen out of love with them. The thing that that I always think is, you know, there have been times in my life that I've been very mad at my dad. Love him, but I've been very mad at him. He's a great man. I don't mean that. I've been stupid. I mean, to be honest with you, if anybody is mad at my dad, they're an idiot. I have proven that over and over again. He's just a great man. Is everybody tracking? But I still loved him, and he still loved me. We still love, even though we might not feel it, we still show love. Okay, so selfish, so that's one of them. The second one is a little more subtle, okay? A little more subtle. I'll put it to you a couple of different ways, and then we'll talk about it. Well, I guess we are talking about it because I'm putting it a couple of ways, and then I'm going to make some comments. Okay, that's probably a better way to say it. I've counseled many people before. Um, I wouldn't say that it's one of my, my greatest strengths. Usually I counsel in order to get them to a counselor that can really help them. Okay, that's, that's usually what I do. I, I listen, and I know different counselors, and I can put you with somebody that can really help you. Okay, that said, I was counseling a couple, a couple of years ago, yeah, a couple of years ago, that um, had had an argument about the paint color in their home. Okay, and this is the first thing that came up in, in the counseling. And so my first response was, so you're here today because you can't decide on a pink color for your home. And they said, yes, that's what brought us in today. I said, okay, okay, we can, we can deal with the pink color. Okay, what happened? Well, what happened was this. He wanted the rooms to be a certain color, had a whole paint scheme with his little cer- certain color, and he want, that's what he wanted. She, believe it or not, had a paint scheme <laughs> for every di- different room in the house, and they had different colors. She had a different paint color scheme than he had. And so instead of working it out to pick the colors that maybe one of, at least one of them would want, they decided to compromise and they chose colors for the house that neither one of them liked. Let that seek in. The guy didn't like it. The woman didn't like it, but they felt like that they compromised because they chose these colors that neither one of them liked. And that is when I realized that they had been competing to see which one would be the most unselfish. No, you do your own colors. No, 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 you do your own colors. No, 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 you do your old colors. No, 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 you do your own colors till it got to a point where we've just got to pick a color. So let's just pick a color neither one of us likes and let's paint the house with it. That is unselfishness gone wrong. It's a sin. It was a conflict within that unselfishness. Let me give you another example of unselfishness. In church, sometimes, I learned this early on this happened early, early on in my ministry. We had an event, and um, the pastor, I was working for somebody at the time. Thank God. I was working for somebody because he, he got the brunt of it. 
So, so he, he got up there and, and he said, well, I'd like to thank Bob and Sister Bertha and, and Aunt Louise and blah, blah, blah. And he listed all these people. But, but the problem was he forgot somebody. And so between after the service and Monday morning, that person that he forgot got really, 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 really upset. So she got so upset that she, she corresponded with him and she corresponded with me. Just, I can't believe they didn't mention my name. I did all this work. I spent all my time. I built all of this. I had all these people. I did this, I did this, I did this. And it's, my back of my brain is, well, you are serving the wrong person. You were doing unselfish acts with your time you were sacrificing your time for this event, but really it wasn't for Jesus at all because you wanted to be recognized as being somebody that is unselfish. Let me tell you what an unselfish, a real unselfish person would have done in that scenario. <sighs> Thank God they did not mention my name. That's what a truly unselfish person would have said. I'm glad they did not mention my name. So even in that, Satan weaves in, man, I've been faithful to that church and they just don't like me. They just forgot me. And he weaves in this tear, right? And he begins to tear people away with this little, I was unselfish, but I wasn't rewarded for it. If you're unselfish, you're not supposed to be rewarded for it. In the scenario with the, with the husband and with the wife, it should have gone something like this. One of them should have said, you know what, honey, I... I, I do prefer this color scheme over here, but I like yours as well. Why don't we do that? And then this person over here should have said, okay, are you sure? And he would have said, yes, I'm really sure. And then she would have said, no, 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 are you really, really sure? And then he would have said, well, yes, I am sure. And then they would have gone and picked the pay. I'm doing it from um, experience side. And then you would, you, would go to the, you would go to the paint thing, right? And sh she would pick out the paint and they would be mixing the paint. And she would say, are you sure the colors are okay and you don't want to go with your colors? I don't mind going with your colors. And he would say, no, it's perfectly fine. It's just paint. I mean, we're going to be just fine with this. So she goes home and she starts painting and she paints the, paints the walls, right? And then she says, um, are, are you okay with this color? Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with this color. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty. Let's drop this now. Okay, let's just drop this. I'm glad that you're painting that color. And you move on. Both people are being unselfish at that point in time. Let me explain how. This person right here is saying, hey, whatever you want is fine with me. I'm going to let go of what I want. really doesn't matter. In the whole scheme of things, who really cares what color the, the walls are in the house? And if she's happy with it, I'm happy with it. Okay? This person over here, instead of trying to compete for unselfishness, which, by the way, is pride. Okay? Says, I will accept the gift that he is trying to give to me. He's trying to let me have something I want and I will take it and I will do this because this will bring him joy. Now, let me tell you something that shouldn't happen. You go through this whole process, the paint gets on the wall and then this person right here goes, well, pff, we should have gone with my colors. 
At that point, this person was never being unselfish. And so you've entered an argument that you should have never had. This person just says, hey, that's fine. The colors are great. You did a great job painting that. And she said, great. And she's happy, loves the home. He's happy because she's happy. And it also should work in the reverse. There's sometimes that the lady says, hey, it doesn't matter to me. If I want these bushes, you want those bushes, just get your bushes. You're going to be planting them anyway. You're going to be doing the work, so why don't you choose them? Here's how the guy does. Are you sure? She says, yeah, I'm sure. He never asked her again. <laughs> never asked her again. Yeah, you go to the store, pick up the things, you go, oh, we're, we're moving on with this, right? Right? The bushes are there. She has to say, hey, yeah, those are nice. I'm glad you did that. And you, you just move on with life. That is unselfishness in a relationship. When you start trying to be unselfish and, and, and do that, here's what you're trying to do. You are trying to get the upper hand. I did this for her. That means I am now on top in the relationship and I'm in control and I'm the one in power. Her, I have done that for him. So now I'm on top in the relationship and he owes me. If you're thinking through a relationship of what this person owes you or what this person owes you, you are not being unselfish. You're being selfish, prideful and trying to get your way. So it works. Church there, it also works at work. What about those people that are up for the same promotion you are? What happens in some of those situations is that there's knives that come out. And the target is people's backs so that this person can look better than this person out here. So knife throwing begins to happen. All kinds of excitement in the office. Turmoil, tension. Who's going to get it? Who's going to win? And everything goes, right? And then finally, the cutthroat thing, the person gets that position through a cutthroat method, and, and it's very, very, very selfish. The unselfish thing to do in that particular arena is, is to say, hey, that's a good choice. I, th I think he would do a, a fine job if you were to choose this person over here. But let me tell you a couple of things that I can bring to the table. You don't talk about what they can't bring to the table. You talk about what you can bring to the table. Then you're nice to them in the office. You don't talk bad about them to other people. You don't point out their faults to everybody around them. You're nice to them. This is not, you're, you're allowing them to walk on you. No, this is unselfishness, but you are thinking about your interest and your family in a raise. I think that's perfectly fine, but you're not hurting them in order to get that. You're not destroying their character in order to get that. Now, will they return the favor? Maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is you're the person that is being the one that is Christ-like in that particular situation. Let me show you the scripture right here. Philippians chapter two, verse four. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I want you to notice that it doesn't say, forget your own interest and replace your interest with someone else's. This verse says that you need to have a goal and you need to have some interest, is, interest is, right? 
some things that you are going for that you're concerned about that you really want. It is okay for you to have something you want and go for it. What's not okay is if you ignore everybody else and what they want while you're doing it. What's not right is if you're pushing your way through, pushing them down in order to get there. You should be interested in other people and what they're trying to do just as much as you are your own interest. You do it in balance. That is unselfishness. You're going for what you want to go for, but you're fine with what they're going for. In your office situation, if they're the one that gets the, gets the promotion, this takes some work, but you just swallow and say, well, number one, it must have been God's will because I prayed about it. If you didn't pray about it, that's your first problem. But if you did pray about it, it must have been God's will, and that's fine, and I'm glad for them. You have to get to the place where you're glad that they got it and you didn't. I believe with all my heart that sometimes God doesn't give you a promotion to save you from something. So you trust the Lord, and that's part of it. What do you think about such and such getting that position? I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm going to be content here, and I'm going to work for the Lord right where I am. Sometimes unselfishness is, is seen in you picking up after people and helping them in different ways or giving them things that they don't know that you're giving to them. Unselfishness is oftentimes talking about other people that aren't in the room in a very positive way. This verse right here from, it's not there, is it? It's not there. Romans, I'll, I'll get to that one in a minute. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, when you're unselfish in a particular office situation or a relational situation, what you are doing is if, let's say, and she loves this, by the way, Angie York is over here. I'm over here with this group of people saying, hey, Angie York, she's awesome. I mean, if she says she's going to do something, she's going to do it. And, and she gets it done, and she does it with excellence, and she's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Or if, if someone asks me, um, Brad Ratledge, man, your dad, he can play. He can play some guitar, right? He's, he's, he's really good at it, right? <laughs> That's not the example. He's really good at it. Yeah, we, we start talking about people in an honor way. We honor people with our words. My dad used to say, and I thought it was a Bible verse, but it's not. You ever have those? Like you're, you thought they were Bible verses, but they're not Bible verses? Now I forgot what he said. <laughs> if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say anything at all. That's not in the Bible, but it's... It's good. We honor people. I think that's what this verse is talking about that's not on the screen, but is in my notes. You honor people with your word. That takes some selflessness. See, a lot of people get in a group and all they talk about is themselves and their own achievements and who they are. It's just not that time to do that. Maybe the time to do that is to talk about someone else. And if you're talking about somebody that's not in a room in a positive way, you're being unselfish. You're being selfless. You're, you're lifting them up. I think Christians need more uplifting conversations. I think people need to hear that something positive was said to them about them in this group over here when they weren't there. That's what people need to hear. 
that builds them up more than anything you could do. You know what I mean? Even if I was to say, hey, Angie, you're the bomb, you do a great job, she'd be very embarrassed, and she would enjoy it, she would get encouragement from it, but she would still struggle a little bit. But if she hears it through the grapevine, it, it brings more encouragement than if I say it right to her. Is everybody tracking with me? There's, there's an unselfishness about this whole thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, what does that mean? Because that seems like that has just contradicted everything that I've just said, doesn't it? But here's what that verse means. When I am seeking my own good, it's my own good first above everybody else's. Tracking? But I seek the good of my neighbor. In other words, I live my life that it's not all about me, it's about others. And yes, I have interests that I'm going after. There's stuff that I'm trying to get accomplished, but I'm still doing good to my neighbor. I'm still respecting my neighbor. I'm still helping my neighbor with whatever they need done. I'm helping them. So across the board in relationships, Satan can often weave this little, I'm being unselfish. I'm the unselfish one, and they did. I gave up all this stuff, but they did. We start talking like that. That's the moment that you know that your heart is not unselfish. You've got some pride in there. You're not being humble. You know, let that stuff go. Ask the Lord to forgive you of that and help you to look at people like he looks at them. Are you with me? In other words, if you're 0.2 miles from your car and that person swerves and you know you can take them out, you don't take them out. You swerve yourself in half the wreck and sacrifice yourself for their good and their livelihood. Are you tracking? That's what you do. Jesus Christ looked at you and while you were swerving all over the place, he reached out his arms and said, I will take the sacrifice for the sins they're committing right now. That is an unselfish act. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, and we thank you. For